uh, and then I, I'll usually do the slides on Saturday, you know, in case I think of different things I want to be, you know, covering in the message or what have you. And so Saturday night, I'm, I'm working on the slides, and I had this realization that today is Palm Sunday, and I'm, I'm preaching on Ruth. Um, so uh, this is a this is going to be an odd Sunday, and I, I want to pray about it. I, I uh, and and we'll kind of dive into the message today. Um, let's uh, bow our heads, Heavenly Father. Um, I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning and and help me to um, help me to be faithful to what the text has to say and help me to um, share the share the gospel and and help me to um, bring out the the treasures that are to be found in your word, Lord. And I pray that the folks who are here this morning that their hearts would be opened and that that they would hear from you and come to know you more intimately through this time. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Um, so uh, the book of Ruth um, is is in the Old Testament, right? Um, and it, it, it's, it's a love story. And, and I'm not very good at love stories. I don't know if some of y'all might know me. Love stories are not my... The only one I know is the best one I've ever heard, and that's my wife and I. Um, and after that, I, I don't do them well. I, I, uh, I make fun of like sappy movies like Titanic and, and Twilight and stuff like that. This is, this is not in my, in my purview. But as we look at Ruth, we get this sort of insider view of, of God's perspective on us and the work that happens at Easter. Um, throughout this series, we've been looking at the Old Testament and sort of the things that point forward to the coming of Jesus. The, the Bible word for this, the big theology word, is typology. And I've said this every week, and so I'm sorry if you're hearing it for the hundredth time, um, but some of you all haven't been here, so I'm going to cover it real quick. Typology refers to anything in the Old Testament that, like, points forward to Jesus coming. Because when you read the Old Testament with, with the right sort of, like, lens, if you look at it saying, well, if all the scripture are about Jesus, what is this saying? You start finding just incredible spots where the Old Testament tells the story of Jesus thousands of years before he's born. And, and um, we're looking at this during this Easter season because, um, because God planned to save you um, way, way, way back at the beginning. From the point in time when, when Adam and Eve screwed up um, and sinned in the garden all the way up until Jesus, all the way up until your birth, God had a plan for bringing salvation to us. And, and it wasn't this haphazard thing. It wasn't just like, oh, well, hey, how about if I send my son now? Like, we'll try this since everything else hasn't worked. It was all intentional. And it was all done with you in mind. And so Ruth, um, there, there are two um, Old Testament books that, that marriage becomes the forefront, um, like in order to illustrate God's relationship with man. And one is Hosea, and it's a much harder book, and we're not talking about that one today, um, and, and Ruth. Um, the other thing that's important to know is that um, Ruth, the story takes place during the book of Judges, okay? So you've got the, the Jewish people are in Egypt as slaves. They come out of Egypt. They hang out in the desert for about 40 years until they're ready to get to the promised land. They come into the promised land. They conquer it. And then about 500 years goes by, and there's no kings. There's no, they just spend time in the land. And whenever problems arise, God would pick out people to defend the country, and they would, they would do that, and then they'd go home, and that would be it. They didn't have, like, a very formal government system. None of that was in place. Um, and so as we jump into Ruth, it's important to understand there was no government to take care of people at this time. People depended on God directly to meet their needs. Everybody with me? Okay, so Ruth starts out. Uh, we're going to do 1-1. 
Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Now, um, there's a whole lot loaded into this, right? Have any of y'all been here when it hasn't rained for, I don't know, six months in the summer? That's a rough year, right? Um, This part of the country, or this part of the world, during this era, if the crops didn't grow, you starved to death, right? Like, and you could reasonably starve to death. It happened pretty regularly, in fact. Like, like it was a very, very difficult time to be alive. And, and irrigation wasn't what it is now. And, I mean, the options just weren't what they, what they are now. Like, and so, for this family, um, famine hits. There's nothing to eat. And what they did was they packed up and they left. Now, for a Jew during this period, to leave Israel was huge. It wasn't a decision you just made. It was a decision you made to leave the land that God gave you and go somewhere else. Um, it was a religious decision. Actually, um, it would have been done, maybe a lot of folks would have watched you leave and they would have had some pretty bad opinions of you. Does that make sense? Like folks would see you going and they'd be like, oh, so it's going to be like that. You're not one of us anymore. Um, what makes it even worse is that they went to Moab. Now, Moab, if you go into the book of Deuteronomy, there are two groups. Um, I think it's the Amalekites and the, the Moabites that are, are so despised by the Jewish people that they, they weren't ever allowed to enter the assembly. Like, if you were a person from Moab and you moved to Israel, you could not become a Jew. And you could never become a part of the community, right? And actually, the Old Testament pretty expressly forbids marrying women from Moab. Like, <laughs> these guys were so disliked. They were, they were um, the Bible even, can, like, if you go back to the beginning of Moab, um, they come from the line of Lot, which means that their great-great-grandparents were inbred. Like, <laughs> they had nothing nice to say about these guys. So that the book starts with these guys going, first, away from the Promised Land, and second, to Moab. Like, like it's already starting not good. If you're a Jewish person reading this, it's starting, it's starting sort of in the pits. Everybody with me? So we move on. Um, oh, and I have notes included, and I didn't... Let's just keep going. Um, then, Eliamech, Elamiah, I'm terrible with Hebrew names, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves uh, Moabite women as wives. The name of one of them was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chalion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Okay, so they go there, and the two sons marry, and then the husband dies. Okay? Now, um, let's see, probably, can you bump me forward? It's not cooperating. Um, in ancient, all right, well, a couple of things. Amalek means God is king, right? So this guy's name means that, that, you know, well, God is king. And, and he actually kind of lived the opposite. Instead of staying where he was supposed to, he went where he wasn't supposed to go. Everybody with me? And then he married his sons off to women he wasn't supposed to marry them off to. Um, and so this guy, he, he doesn't trust God to feed them when times are hard. He doesn't, I mean, he just sort of says, okay, guys, things are getting rough. Let's go ahead and abandon. 
you know, and they jump off the ship and head off somewhere else. And, and that, you know, that's, that's where this guy is at. Like, he, he walks away from, from the faith. Um, and so his name is sort of ironic, and it's built into the thing as, well, it was probably his name, but it is an irony in the story. Um, now we reach this point where husband and sons are dead, and Naomi is left with her, her two daughter-in-laws, and that's it. Now, this is a huge deal in that culture, because um, in ancient world, it was very unusual for women to be allowed to own property, right? They couldn't work. They couldn't, you know, it was kind of a you name it, they couldn't do it. Um, and so for these women to suddenly not have husbands would mean that they would be financially destitute. Um, and for, specifically for, uh, um, for uh, Naomi, um, to not have sons anymore means that she has nobody to take care of her. And in, in um, sorry, I'm distracted here for a second. I, my thing just crashed and so I've got to fix it. Um, All right, so specifically, like in, in Moab, one of the understandings, the cultural understandings was, if you were a woman who didn't have a husband and didn't have a man to take care of, or you were considered to be free. Now, that sounds great, right? You could do whatever you want, except that it wasn't that kind of free. It would be more like, you know, when you like walk up to a bookstore and they got the big table of books out front with a sign that says free? That kind of free. Um, it's the bad kind of free where, like, if a man came along and saw Naomi and her daughters and wanted to have his way with them, like, in that Moab culture, he could. Or if he wanted to collect them up and sell them off as slaves, he could. So losing her husband and her sons is a big deal because now she is in a world of awful spots, right? She's in a land that isn't hers. She's got no family and you know, like everybody who's supposed to take care of her is gone. She's got no protection anymore. And so she goes home. Um, so she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judy, Judah. Um, and Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me um, or have dealt with the dead and with me. Um, Ruth stops along the way and turns to her daughter, and actually there's a whole lot more passage to this, where they argue back and forth, and she's like, go home, go home, go home. Because, um, like, they're going to Israel where there are laws that protect them as, as widows, right? Like, it was very unusual. Like, the Jewish people were unusual. The law codes protected widows. And they had special things in place that would, like, provide for them. Um, but they didn't always follow the law. You with me? I mean, like, there may be rules, but sometimes men would take advantage of women because they could. Or sometimes, you know, people who were widows weren't fed. Um, it was not an easy life they were going to. Whereas the daughters were probably somewhat young, probably could still have kids. If they went home, they could still get married, Right? And if they could still get married, they could still be taken care of. And either way, if they had brothers or a father or whoever else, they could be taken care of or they would be taken care of. So Ruth said, or Naomi says to her, her daughter-in-laws, don't come with me. Go home. They'll take care of you. Um, we go on. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. 
return after your sister-in-law. So like you have the Orpha who says, well, you know what? This whole Jewish thing's been fun. Have a nice day. And she goes home because it was easy, right? She was facing a very difficult, difficult road in front of her. And instead of going down the hard road, she went home, right? That wasn't my child, was it? Um, (laughs) It's okay. It gets better, son. Um, But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Um, Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus, may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Ruth digs in and says, if we're going to go to Israel to die, I'll go with you, and we'll die there. Right? Anybody have this read at a wedding? By the way, did we? Of course we did. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ruth, <laughs> Ruth, it was such a wonderful day. It's, it's, it's <laughs> like trying to remember individual sprinkles on a cake. It's hard. Um, <laughs> I don't even have water. I <laughs> um, <laughs> know it'd be out my nose by now. Um, so Ruth, Ruth says, hey, you know what? Well, I, I'm going with you no matter what. I'll die with you. I'll do whatever it needs to do. And she basically swears an oath. You know, she says, you know, the, my oath is no matter what, I'm with you. Period. And, and Naomi realizes there ain't no talking her out of this. Okay? Um, now, we hear this story, and it sounds so sweet and wonderful. It's important to understand that these women are at the end of their rope. There is nobody to protect them. For them to travel to Israel is dangerous. Um, What they are doing is they're at the bottom rung of society at this point. And they're going home to be panhandlers. It's not like they're going home to Naomi's house. Um, They're going home to beg. Um, They're going home to nothing. Um, and, And it's not... It's, it's not a good situation. However, um, there is a potential here, okay? The potential is Naomi can get married again because in the ancient world, there was something called a kinsman redeemer. And how this works is um, a woman who was a widow, um, it was required by law that her brother's or her husband's brother marry her, right? How many of y'all really like your brother-in-law? <laughs> um, if she had no children, her, her, her husband's brother had to marry her and help her have children. Now, the problem, of course, at this point is that Naomi's old and she ain't going to have any more kids, right? Um, so she's not a very attractive option for a wife, um, like from the economic standpoint. I mean, you're taking her on. The other thing that makes this difficult is because Ruth went with her, she has another family member. So when she gets home, her husband's brother marries her. They have a son, or they have a son, or the, the, um, if Ruth has a child, then Ruth's child inherits everything from the brother. So for her to get remarried, because Ruth comes along, it screws up the inheritance, like laws. So whoever it is that she marries is going to have to willingly toss their own kids in the fire. How popular do you think this is? 
not. And so actually, Naomi lets her come, but like they're not going in a happy direction. This is not a positive story at this point. But I think Naomi maybe wasn't sorry to go alone, honestly. Um, so 19 uh, through 21. Um, so they both went until they came to Bethlehem. So they arrive home. Any of y'all ever leave Big Sandy and come back years later? And you like walk into the grocery store and folks are like, Jeremy, where the heck have you been? Or, or Nathan, you were gone for what, like a decade? <laughs> Nathan! I don't even recognize you with that huge beard and the long hair. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, I thought about it before preaching this part. Um, but your feet look old, man. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, so, so they arrive at their home. And, and this is a town much smaller than Big Sandy. I mean, there's a few hundred people there, right? They walk up, and as they're approaching, and when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Why did they say that? Um, honestly, it was because they were shocked, right? They were surprised at the woman who arrived. Naomi means gentle, right, or agreeable. And Naomi responds. She said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She's like, my life is so destroyed. Don't call me agreeable. Call me bitter. That's a bad homecoming, right? <laughs> um, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? And I'm going to hit pause. Is there anybody in this room has ever hit a point where you back up and you feel like God has taken every worthwhile thing from you, and there's nothing left? Where you're exhausted and you're empty, and, and honestly, you're in a position where like nobody's protecting you and nobody's standing up for you, and, and you're hopeless and you're broke. Um, and I mean broke, not as in poor, but I mean broke. That's Naomi at this point. She's come home, and she's come home in a place of shame, and she's not happy about it, right? She's not standing around saying, well, you know, God brought me home. She's come home with her tail between her legs. And she's come home probably to folks who have judged her at this point because they went to Moab, right? It's, it's like fleeing to Hollywood, you know, coming back and like, oh, you were in Hollywood. <laughs> we know how that town works, or Vegas, or wherever. Um, Naomi comes back, and she's not a happy camper. Um, we go on. Uh, now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, um, of the ha- family of Eliamech, um, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean amongst the ears of grain after one, or, uh, grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Now, in, the ancient, in ancient Israel, they had very specific laws about, about the poor, right? If you were poor and you had no work and you had no source of income, you could go to farms and you could take the grain that was left over, right? So if, if you're out there in your combine, they had combines back then. They were just pulled by donkeys um, or oxen. And, and if you're in your combine and you missed a swath, right? Larry doesn't do that, but everybody else does sometimes. Um, <laughs> if you missed a swath, you couldn't come back and get it. Like, if you, if you missed a little bit, it stayed. Or if you, you wouldn't actually um, have a combine, I made that up, um, you would collect up your grain in sheaves, like in big, long, they'd cut them and they'd tie them together in big sheaves. If you're putting them on a, on a cart and a sheaf fell off, it was illegal to pick it up. You had to leave it for the poor. 
And there are several other laws. And the idea was that the poor shouldn't starve. We're going to build in all this stuff so that the farmers would leave stuff for the people who couldn't find work on their own or didn't have money to buy food or what have you. And they provided for the poor. And so um, what's going on here is Ruth says to her mother-in-law, she says, I am going to go panhandle. And I'm going to go panhandle in the, like, in the fields of somebody we know because where is she from? Moab. Do they like Moabites? No. And actually what makes it worse is that the laws are really complicated. And so if she were to go into the wrong area and collect grain from the wrong place, she could get in an awful lot of trouble, right? And, and so um, she said, let me go somewhere where they're going to be nice to me. Let me go to Boaz. I'll go, I'll go work in his field. And so she goes out and she starts working in the fields and she starts collecting food for her and for her mother-in-law. Um, she, she, she heads out and, Boaz, uh, like, and she works half a day and about halfway through the day, Boaz shows up because it's great to be the boss. Um, he shows up halfway through the day and he sees all his workers out there gleaning and, and um, then he calls Ruth over and he says, uh, then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, or, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to another field, or do not go to glean in another field. Further, do not go from this one, but stay uh, here with my maids. Uh, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. Uh, when you are thirsty, go to the water uh, jars and drink from uh, what the servants draw. Oh, no, I don't have notes on that one. Um, this doesn't sound like a big deal, but he actually tells him, tells Ruth. He says, listen, I've got my daughters and my, or, you know, the women from my household. Stay with the women from my household. Just mix in with them. No one's going to hurt you. Nobody's going to take advantage of you. If you screw up, nobody's going to do anything about it. When you need water, you don't have to go get it yourself. Drink from the water we have, Right? which doesn't sound like a big deal until you have to carry gallons of water everywhere you go to drink, right? And so he actually, he extends protection and he extends provision. This woman who's got nothing, this woman who is a foreigner that's supposed to be hated, and he says, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to feed you and I'm going to give you water. I'm taking care of you. Um, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord and the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. It's interesting. While I was preparing for this, I listened to a handful of sermons on it and Moabite women were supposed to be hot, right? Like attractive. I'm sorry, that was probably sexist of me. Um, <laughs> Moabite women were good looking. And there are a lot of commentaries and preachers who will say, well, she was good looking and that's why Boaz noticed her. It's actually not why Boaz noticed her. Boaz noticed her because she was the one who did something that no one else would do. She walked away from everything she knew, um, basically to be faithful to her mother-in-law, and, and I would suggest probably the religion that she picked up, like she had become this Jewish woman. Um, and so even though she didn't belong, she had become something special. Um, this would be an example of a man noticing who you are, not what you are. Everybody with me? Um, it's unusual. 
um, Boaz was a guy of character. And he saw in Ruth something attractive, something beautiful. Um, and he protected her as a result. Uh, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here uh, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even amongst the sheaves, and do not insult her. And you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean. And do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what was gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. So not only did he, he asked her out for lunch, right? And he feeds her, which he didn't have to do. Um, and he fed her so much she was full and had leftover food, which has probably been a little while since that had happened. Um, he demonstrates interest in her. He starts to express love concretely. And he feeds her, and he invites her to his table. By the way, he invited a foreign woman from a race of people you didn't associate with to sit and eat with him. And then he says to his people, hey, accidentally drop some grain for her. You know, as you're collecting, accidentally leave some behind so she can collect it up. Um, he's going out of his way to meet her needs, to take care of her. This is not a bad love story thus far, right? I, I didn't pay attention to that part of Titanic. I was sleeping, but, but I'm assuming we got it beat at this point. Like, he sees her character, not her appearance. He looks past her past. He looks past her family. And he falls in love with her and takes care of her when she has nothing. Um, so she goes, actually, let's, she goes home. And Naomi says, wait a minute. Where'd you get all this grain? Like, why, why do you have so much? Because she, in, like this ephah barley, that's quite a bit. I mean, she comes back with way more than she should. And, and, you know, she says, well, this Boaz guy, this is what happened. And she says, well, he's a family member. And so, like, like you know, go back to him. I want you to get dressed up, put on your nice outfits, do your hair, get, you know, perfume. I want you to go to him while he's out in the field working. Like, they're going to take the grain at night, and they're going to, like, um, um, get the, uh, the chaff out. It's the combine part of the work, only you had to do it by hand then. Um, when he's doing that, wait until everybody goes to sleep, and then I want you to go, and I want you to, um, I want you to uncover his feet, and I want you to sit by his feet. And I want you to talk to him. Because Boaz is an older man, we find out, and Boaz is single, meaning that Boaz isn't good with the ladies, right? Like, he doesn't, he's not chasing after women. Boaz is doing his work. Um, so she, she instructs her how to go the extra step. And so she goes that night, um, and he appro she approaches him as he's sleeping. He says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you, may, for you are a close relative. Then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after a young man, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Um, she says, spread your cover over me. Now, modern interpreters have done some funny things with this story, right? I, I, they, they said, oh, well, this is this big romantic. It is actually a romantic story. And in the Hebrew language, some of this sounds weird, like she had uncovered his feet. You know? <laughs> I didn't do that at home and my wife gets mad. <laughs> you know, like, that's not romantic. 
Or, or they'll say, oh, well, this is this big sexual gesture. It, it wasn't. She sat in a place of submission. She sat in a place of humility. And when she asked him to cover her, what she's asking for is for him to marry her. Right? She proposes to him because she's a modern gal. Um, she says, marry me. You know, take us into your household. Um, and, and in doing this, he says, listen, I, I'll marry you. I'll marry you because you could have chased after a young man. You could have gone after anything you wanted, but you picked me. And you, you know, did this wonderful thing for your mother-in-law. Your, your character and your attention is worth, is worth my marriage. Um, there's a problem. Now it is true I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Re- remain this night when morning comes. If he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. So he says, listen, you have a closer relative, and I want to marry you. But, by law, this other guy has first shot at it. Had the guy married her up until this point? No. The reason he hadn't, again, was because... Well, we'll get to it in a second. Now, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. Now, him being at the gate, you would have all your business meetings at the gate. Everybody with me? Like, so, um, we have a town council or something and a city hall. This would be city hall. And so he calls the guy aside as he's passing by the gate, and they do business. Um, Then he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell a piece of land which belonged to her brother Elilamech. Elilamech. I'm terrible with the Hebrew. Anyway, um, so he says, listen, she has land to sell. Um, Isn't that great? And it piques the guy's interest, right? Because she can't sell land, she has to be married to sell land. And so he starts setting up this, well, maybe you ought to consider marrying her so she can sell the land. Um, So I thought to inform you by saying, buy it before those who are sitting here, um, before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, um, I will redeem it. He says, wait a minute, there's something I can have? Bring it here. But Boaz is playing a trick. He knows the law. He says, well, hold on. Um, uh, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance, meaning if I marry her, I lose giving my sons everything they deserve. And so actually he's willing to let these women starve so that he can protect his inheritance, mind you. This is not a guy who's like in the ideal position. Um, and the closer relative, uh, redeem it yourself, and you may have the right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Um, he says, I don't want it. If it's going to cost me, I don't want it. Um, and so in steps Boaz, and the story ends with Boaz marrying Ruth and redeeming Naomi. And so both Ruth and Naomi, now check this out. We're going to come back around to Easter here. Um, Ruth and Naomi have nothing. They've lost their family. They're heartbroken. They're crushed. They're homeless. They're poor. 
everything that could go wrong at this point has gone wrong. And not only that, she says, don't even call me agreeable. agreeable. My name is now bitter. Anybody ever been so mad you changed your name to something unpleasant? Like, <laughs> that, is a, that is a road to cross, right? Um, and this kinsman, this, this redeemer comes, and he says, I'll do something expensive. I'll buy you. I'll redeem you from the place you're at. I'll make sure that you're protected. I'll make sure you're taken care of. I'll make sure you're loved. Um, and I'll go out and make certain it happens by, like, negotiating for it. Um, in the story of Jesus, like, one of the frequent metaphors we see um, for Christ and for us is that Christ is the, is the bridegroom, right? He's this, he's this husband that God sends into the world. And the church, all of us, are the bride. Jesus comes, and as we look at Good Friday, and as we look at Easter, what Jesus does is he redeems us. He buys us from our bankruptcy. You, me, your friends, your family, everybody you know, owned by sin, can't escape our past. Ultimately, we'll all stand before God and answer for what we've done. Um, And for every one of us, it ain't good. Everybody with me? Jesus buys us out of that position. He looks at us and says, I I love you so much, I'll take you out of this. I'll buy you by taking your sin on myself. Um, For Boaz, when Boaz does this, his inheritance goes somewhere else. He gives up something huge, but he redeems her. Um, The reason I wanted to cover this, it's first off, it's a lot of text, and I want to say I'm sorry for that. I know it's a lot of material to go through. Um, But it's a big deal to understand. Like, we talk about Jesus dying for our sins, but this was a step of God into this world to court the love of every one of us, to have the object of his desire, which is his creation. He desires that we're saved, not to punish any of us, not to send any of us to hell, not to squish any one of you, but he desires to save us. This story of Boaz and Ruth is a story of God sending a man to redeem these women. By the way, um, Boaz was a stand-in, right? And actually, Ruth is a stand-in. And so this redemption is a redemption of stand-ins, right? And so when Jesus goes to the cross, he stands in my place. Um, Originally, Christ came for the Jews, for the Jewish people. Ultimately, we're all saved. I'm saved because I'm, you know, a stand-in. And because Jesus stood in my place. Um, I know this is a lot of material. I, you know, my challenge for you this week, we're going we're gonna to close with prayer. My challenge for you this week is, um, how do you look at God? Ask yourself, how do I look at God? Do I look at God as this, this creator of everything who's put effort forward to romance me and to save me? To, to pull me out of the ownership that I have to my sins? Um, to take me from the place of bitter and put me, put me in a place of joy. Um, to buy me out of the bondage that I live in. Ask yourself that. What would it take to live a life that's worthy of that? Not that you can ever earn it, but that's worthy of that love. I'm going to close in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Help us to um, recognize that you redeem us, Lord. Help us to recognize that that you sent your Son to, to be our kinsman redeemer, Lord, to, to take us when we were broken and when we were alone and when we were 
hopeless um, even, Lord. I, I, I Help us to recognize that. Help us to live in it. Um, and help us to follow it, Lord. Help us to bring to you our broken places and our, and our sinful um, background and, and everything and, and just lay it at the cross. And um, help us as we come into this holy week to, to celebrate the death of your son for our sins. Um, his, his ransom for us, Lord. His redemption of us. In Christ's name, amen.